Here's what I say about coffee. Everyone should drink what they love. And I'm not going to disparage people drinking at the Starbucks or the Pete's. Drink what you love. At some point, if you really love coffee, you may discover that other people are roasting at a higher level, a more precise, a more nuanced, and that's fine. If you get into it, great. If you don't, just drink coffee at your local shop and hang out with your neighbors. Hello and welcome to Here in L.A., Hancock Park Edition. Today we talk with Julie Wolfson, who is a journalist, a world traveler, a mother of two, a cool hunter, and a fabulous woman with a heart of gold who you should run out and meet right away. Julie and I worked at LAist way back in the day, and like me, many of her friends today are those she met writing for that spunky blog. We'll talk about raising kids in L.A., art, Hancock Park and the surrounding areas, a piece she did on the Central Coast, and we'll even dip our toes into the topic of Japanese whiskey. Julie knows things, so let's get at it. Hey, everybody. I am talking to Julie Wolfson of Hancock Park. Hancock Park? I thought I was one block off of Hancock Park. I'm really in it? I'm the real deal? How long have you lived there? We have been living at that house on Citrus since 1999. And so for 24 years almost, where did you think you lived? I thought I lived somewhere between West Hollywood, Hollywood, and Hancock Park. Well, you knew you weren't in West Hollywood. Okay, but it feels sort of close-ish. Well, but they have different signs. That's true. And you would have voted for a different mayor. That's true, too. And you would have smoked weed. That's also true, <laughs> which I don't. <laughs> One of our only friends that doesn't. Well, okay, so so I'm, I am... There has to be uh, a judge on the neighborhoods, and I'm not the judge, so I'm saying that the LA Times Mapping LA is the judge. And they say, I, I, I typed in your address, and they said you live in Hancock Park. Well, now I know. I always thought Highland was the demarcation, and we are one block west of Highland. So I didn't know. You're you're west of Highland. But you, you say you're Moza adjacent. Right, because we're three Moza blocks is, south of... But, but Moza is west of Highland. It's on Highland and Melrose, and we're three blocks south of there. Yeah. So I always thought they were on the Hollywood side of Highland, mm. and the other side was the Hancock Park side. Uh-huh. I could see why you think you're in West Hollywood sometimes. You're really close. Yeah. But that's the thing about these neighborhoods. There's so I'm, many. I'm in that little zone in the middle. According to the paper, you are in the I'm zone. I'm legit Hancock Park, which is funny because that's where my dad lived when he grew up. He did? Yeah. He was born in Hancock Park. His grandparents had a home on June. And then when he was a young kid, they moved to San Francisco. How come? But uh, the family was all moving up to the Bay Area, mm. and he ended up in Seacliff, very fancy in San Francisco. Well, Hancock Park's not too shabby. I guess his family was fancy. I don't know. You don't know? Not really. You don't know what any of those people did? Well, my grandfather, my dad's father, was a pharmacist, so he <laughs> wasn't that fancy. The drug dealer in town is not fancy? <laughs> then my dad became a pharmacist, too. Well, what the... Don't you have to get a medical degree for this? Sort of. It's a pharmacy degree. So, Julie, this is why I love you. Two doctors in the family, and you're like, yeah, but we're not fancy. I never feel fancy. Fine, but how does the world perceive you? I don't know. Tony, how does the world perceive me? I just want to hang out with everyone and meet everyone. Yeah. So I, I definitely just want to drive my Prius around and like... <laughs> You know, wear my vintage clothes and... Is this I, vintage you're wearing today? Actually, no, this one is a designer that I met uh, from Japan. And so this fabric was made in Hiroshima wow. and the dress was sewn in uh, New York and I bought it at like a arts festival kind of thing. So it was one of my, not super expensive, but a bit of a splurge for me. So we know each other through LAist. You have been in this apartment many times before. I have. Because back in the day, I had no budget to pay anybody. And LAist relied on people who wrote for free, like you. So thank you. Also, we are kind of celebrating the fact that KPCC is 
doing the right thing by changing their name to Elaist. I'm trying to get used to Isn't it. Isn't it weird? Larry Mantle. It's <laughs> Air Talk on Elaist. Okay, Larry. <laughs> but it. what I'm trying to say is none of that development at KPCC would have... N- None of it would have happened without people like you, Julie, because you guys worked for free. You worked your booty off. Um, you wrote as if you were writing for the LA Times. You uh, interviewed the people. You fact-checked. You wrote, 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 wrote. And back then, we were we the only feedback we would get are kind of the mean people in the comments. So you withstood all of that, too. And so when KPCC adopts that name... I think it's on the backs of the volunteers of LAS. I feel proud because a lot of my friends in town are from our LAS days. And I, you started my writing career. Well, you say that a lot. I do. What college did you go to, Julie Wilson? UCLA. Okay. Go Bruins. They don't just let dummies come into UCLA. Okay. Let's go through this. All right. Because I said I did want to talk about mentoring today. Uh-huh. And I went to a crazy college prep high school in the Bay Area that my parents sort of forced me to go to. What part of town? It was in Ross, California, in Marin County. And I was lucky enough to get to study with Ted Walsh, who's an incredible mentor. And he was my English teacher and theater teacher. So I did start to learn to write. At UCLA, I did take English classes and some playwriting classes. And I worked as a theater director for many years with some writing. Okay, but hold on. Some hold, writing. Hold on. You're skipping a huge thing. Not every kid gets to go to UCLA. So your grades must have been pretty good at this hippie marine uh, high school yes. years. I was 20th in my class nope. of 78 kids. The rest of the above me got to go to Stanford, Harvard, Yale, whatever. Did they really? Yeah. It was that good of a school? Oh, yeah. And Only 78 kids in your graduating class? Yes. And I got into all my dream schools except for Pomona. Pomona was on the list? Pomona is, is like the Harvard of California. It is the hardest school to get into. For theater? For anything, just to get in, to study anything at Pomona. That is the golden ticket, Pomona College. I never knew. Yes. So I got into all my dream schools, and I was on my way to Northwestern. And when I got into UCLA, I reconsidered. I loved Los Angeles. I visited here a lot as a kid because my grandpa George lived in Encino. Mm -hmm. I remember going to Rodeo Drive and Scandia and Bush Gardens and all the old time places with my grandpa. Most people don't know that there was an amusement park in the valley. Where you drank beer. Well. My grandpa drank beer and we were supposed to go on little boat rides and things. Well, and that was was the, the, the catch was... Fun for the kids, but Bush is is um, a brewer. Yep. And are they Budweiser? I don't know. I don't know. We should look it's, that up. It's Bush. Bush beer. B-U-S-C-H. Yeah. So you, you went to Bush Gardens? Was it fun? Oh, I just thought it was hilarious. I thought that was the funniest thing because we would go to amusement parks. This was the beer garden yeah. amusement park. I found that hilarious Uh um but i loved la growing up so when i got the chance to go to ucla i thought as much as i had already planned to go to northwestern i had spent a summer there i was like in go to illinois mode yep i just reconsidered i just imagined that life in la and at ucla would be magical and northwestern said show up sophomore year if you'd like which of course once i got to ucla who would ever want to leave right and I was at UCLA in the late 80s. It was a pretty magical place. Sure was. Well, I, I talk about Westwood all the time. Westwood of the 80s all the time. It was the center of the entertainment universe for young people. Um, every storefront was, was filled, unlike the last 20 years. Uh, there was record stores, movie palaces, dance clubs. Did you ever dance at Dylan's? Oh, yes. <laughs> and we went to movie premieres at that big theater in Westwood. The Bruin and the Fox. The Bruin and the Fox. I mean, we got invited to everything. I was a theater major at UCLA. I got invited to everything. So, okay, does it break your heart like it breaks mine that the village is a shell of itself? 
I mean, look, just as I was graduating, it was already waning because of the Third Street Promenade. Um, so I was already the person hanging out in other neighborhoods. We huh. were at Gorky's downtown. We were at Ben Frank's up in West Hollywood. We were all over the place. Okay. So we started to think of that heyday in Westwood is for the high school kids at some point. Oh. And we just started to branch out. But that's also because we were running back and forth to plays and performances all over the city. And thus, we would know the cafes and coffee shops and all of those yes. neighborhoods. So I saw it kind of wane, but I had kind of left it as my sort of social center already. Mm -hmm. I'm being notified in my ear that Bush is Anheuser-Busch. Oh, that's right. So I of course know. it's Budweiser. That is Budweiser. Being from Chicago, we look down upon the people of St. Louis and St. Louis in general, okay. where Anheuser-Busch is prude. So of course that uh, information was deep into my psyche. Got it. All right. I'm glad to hear that you feel that way about Westwood because it. it you're absolutely right though because when I was there, I was a teenager. I was 17, 18, 19. And, um, and, and it was, okay, LA at that time had a lot of underage, legal underage dance clubs. Yes. Whereas today they don't seem to. And a lot of them were in Westwood. And it wasn't like I was trying to hit on college girls or anything, but it was, they allowed me in being under 21. Yes. And also it was fun for the high school kids because there was cookie shops and ice cream shops. And I feel like there were girls who'd leave the house in regular clothes and like absolutely pack their spandexy things and then <laughs> change in the car and then whip out of the car in Westwood in their like sparkly outfits. Yes. I, I get it, you know, but we were college kids. And also I was in the arts community at UCLA. So we were at Royce Hall all the time seeing mm. dance shows. We were running down to the music center and to theater companies all over. So we were in a little different zone than the frat, bar, football game culture of the campus. Mm -hmm. I see it happening. I knew some of the people. I just wasn't as involved in it. Okay, so... My point, Julie Wilson, L.A.'s did not make you. You were on this path. You, you, the path, again, Northwestern is, is one of the greatest Big Ten schools, especially for, for writing. And uh, so many journalists have come out of Northwestern. And so if you were being accepted there and you just, la, 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 I'll just take my pick. Ooh, the weather's a little nicer in, L in UCLA. That means you're a smart person. Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate that. But let's go through this because I started off as a theater director and teaching theater for okay. a decade, more. Really? And that was my plan and I was going to stick with it. And I kept getting offered to write things and I was like, okay, well, I'll adapt that play or I'll help with this. So I did a little PR writing, a little, little here and there. Mm -hmm. So at some point I got asked to write for a website in San Francisco that was one of the original fashion blogs. Oh. And what they had asked me for is they were based in San Francisco and they thought it was so funny when they'd come see me in LA that I had so many funny celebrity stories. Mm. And I said, I'm not writing any stalking stories. Like I'm not writing where Lindsay Lohan is and then people are going to go bother her. They said, no, 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 we'll publish it a day or two later. It's more slice of life of what happens in LA because we think these stories are charming and funny. Yeah. Fine. I, I sent them emails with paragraphs. They'd put photos to it and I didn't even know how to put anything on a website. Mm. Well, when that series wrapped up and they had an editorial change, that's when I was reading LAist. And I was like, I wonder about this guy, Tony Pierce. Oh, boy. Like, if I email him, would he email me back? <laughs> I'm like, does he want celebrity spotting stories? Like, I... Did my, I? I don't think I did. You did? I... You, you I contacted know. me right back and yeah. you said this. You can write about celebrities if you want. And you I go. said, okay. And he said, but... You should also write about everything else. Yes. And I said, Tony, what do you mean everything else? And you said to me, well, where are you going tonight? And I said, oh, I'm going to see Elvis Costello at the House of Blues. And you said, write about it. And I said, Tony, I'm not a rock critic. I'm not a music <laughs> critic. And you said, don't critique it. Just say who's there. Share the playlist. Write about what he wore. I don't care. Just describe it. You don't have to critique it. And I said, oh, okay. 
and I turned in the story to you. Huh. And then you said, well, where are you going tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm going to see the Dan Flavin show at LACMA. And you said, <laughs> write about it. Oh, no, Tony, I can't. I'm not an art critic. <laughs> and you said, Julie, describe it. Say what's there. Tell us how to go to the show. What a fantastic Anything. editor. You were amazing editor. And that's well, when on. you how, kept saying, how, write about everything. How was that Elvis Costello show? The best. Elvis is always so much fun. House of fun. Blues on Sunset, RIP? or in RIP, a, yeah, on Sunset. Why didn't I go to that show? I love Elvis. I don't know. I was busy. You might have had another ticket well, we for were, that night. We, no, we were doing 20 articles a day. Yeah. I couldn't really leave the ha- I couldn't leave this couch. <laughs> and your bathrobe. Oh my goodness. And you I Elvis taught at the House me of to oh, be a generalist. And oh. you realized that that was my thing. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't only going to write about music or art. And then some people kept offering me to interview chefs. I went, okay. Well, and okay. then so everything else. I think you taught yourself. Because I, I could say that to lots of people. And they just wouldn't do it. You actually did it. And I think you taught yourself... You, these concepts that our brain tells us, we have to be Jonathan Gold in order to tell people if a restaurant's any good, is nonsense. There's only one Jonathan Gold, and he's fantastic at that. But when you're just sitting on a bus talking to somebody about your favorite restaurant, that's actually a great blog post if somehow you can transcribe that into words. Because just two people just chit-chatting, which to me is the type of writing that I want to read... I don't want to have to use a thesaurus. I don't want to have to pretend like I'll never be able to, to enjoy this food because I don't know about all these herbs that are in there. Just tell me what it's like. And the same with, with rock and roll. You know, Elvis Costello of 20, what was that, 2006? Way different than 80s and 90s Elvis. So I think your perspective was perfect. I just loved the idea that I didn't have to critique things. If you ask me at a party what I thought of something, you'll get the real answer from me if there's aspects of it I didn't like. I have no interest in being critical in public, in writing. How come? You don't want to hurt people's feelings? I don't like hurting people's feelings, and I do feel that if you're going to be a critic, you should be like unbelievably knowledgeable. I think the best food critics probably have gone to culinary school or studied intensely. The Mm. best art critics. So I like to be the generalist and tell people, this is awesome. Yeah. I don't feel equipped then to decide that that painting is derivative of something else and not that creative or the skill level isn't excellent. I don't... When you are theater directing, do you tell people they suck? Do you no, tell people that I just guide them to what we need it to be. I'm never going to say you suck. I'm going to say we're going to try that again. <laughs> and we're going to get this as a group to uh-huh. work so that it works for everybody. But no, I don't. And, and this is a reflection of your high school teacher. Yes. He was like this. He was the most encouraging. He was demanding, but he was the most encouraging person. And he saw things in me and believed in me before I believed in myself. I love it. Next. Next. You have children. I do. (laughs) And at least one of them is a musician. She is. Uh, Our older daughter, Sophia, is 23, and she's a singer-songwriter. Isn't she also giving lessons, too? Yeah, she's a guitar teacher, and she works at Old Style Guitars. Where's that? On Hoover. Uh, What neighborhood? Uh, Silver Lake. Oh, over here. Yes. Oh, it's kind of hidden. Yeah. It's on the same block as Barkeeper and Mayday Dog Rescue, which is where we got our cute little sweet Clive from last year. Thank you, Mayday. Aww. Okay, so I bring this up because I love to talk to parents about raising kids in L.A. And you seem to have done a very successful job at this. I have not seen reports of your kids in jail. They're not in jail. They're quite 
wonderful people, but I really do believe they came out that way. They were easy babies? Easy toddlers? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, look, everyone goes through their trials and tribulations, and we've had our fair share, but they came out smart and motivated. There were times in middle school and high school I'd say, let's play hooky, let's go here, let's go there, and they're like, mom, I've got a test, I've got to study. People would ask me, like, well, what, how do you get through all the homework? I said, I don't even know what their homework is. <laughs> I have no idea. Sometimes my husband, Stephen, will, I think, proofread papers. Uh-huh. Occasionally they'd show me something. Mostly it was more when they needed supplies, like from the art store or something. Mm. I'd drive them over. But they were very motivated people. They really came out with those personalities. Okay, so even though you live in Tony Hancock Park, swanky, Celeb rich. True. In our little bungalow, yes. <laughs> but all around you are gazillion dollar houses. Yes, there's some very fancy houses east of us. So even though your neighborhood is well-to-do, maybe one of the most well-to-do in the city of LA, guilty. Sorry, Julie. It's true. She's, she's giving me this face like, it's not true. You know it's true. It is very nice The mayor nice lives there. in your neighborhood. It is very nice there. We uh, live in a section of the neighborhood that is pretty crime-ridden. Okay, whatever. Whatever. Okay. Even though you live in a nice neighborhood, they tried to hang Mike Pence at the Capitol. So every every place is is crime-ridden. Okay? My point is, some people from the outside would say, it's still next to Koreatown. It's still next to uh, Mid-City. It's still close to, to Hollywood, which are scary for a lot of people. And it's not like you people have gated communities in your neighborhood. In fact, I learned from a previous guest, you're not even allowed to have a fence in a lot of Hancock Park unless the fence was already there. So you, We're you, one block off of the historic zone, though. So there's no rules on our street. Oh, you can have a fence if you want? You can have anything. They've been tearing down all the houses. It's so sad. Oh. Yeah, so we're one block off the historic zone where there's a lot more rules. Okay. My point is, is that there are still some scaredy cats who would say, I still wouldn't raise my kids in Hancock Park because, well, first of all, traffic. There's a lot of cars now zipping through because of ways to get around the the, the traditional avenues. Um, it's close to a lot of things that some parents might be afraid of. I mean, it's, it's pretty. You're in the middle of the city. Yeah. You're right in the middle of the city. It's right in the middle of the city grid. There's a lot of crime in our area. A lot? You would say a lot? Oh, Tony. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Where are you getting this news from? Uh, my husband, because I refuse to read the neighborhood blotters and websites and Good. everything. So he constantly is telling me when someone's getting stabbed, robbed, uh, there's been shootings in the neighborhood. It's, is there really? Yeah. Hancock Park is not what I think it is. I mean, we're on the city side. So this is mostly stuff happening in the La Brea, Melrose section. Mm-hmm. But that's blocks from our house. Right. And, you know, the neighbors next door have been broken into. The cars have been broken into. It's really? part of the... It's part of the grid where it's very accessible. It's right on the, you know, main streets. Yeah. Uh, it just is what you, it is. You know, you know? This, is, this is, Julie, you're doing me a, a service because I'm trying to break down myths and yet I keep trying to propagate the myth that Hancock Park is this amazing place. There's some fancy parts of it closer yeah. to the golf course and everything and some beautiful historic homes. Yeah. Um, but even those are all very accessible. Like you said, it's not gated community or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but our part of the neighborhood's a mixture of apartments and smaller houses and rebuilds and we're three blocks from a gas station. So we're really (laughs) part of the city. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, my kids went to elementary school in high in Hollywood. Sophia went to middle school in Sherman Oaks. Why? Because it was an arts program. Okay. Vivian went to middle Hold on. school. Did you drive her to the Val every day? Carpool, but yes, for two years. Wow. Was that a pain in the ass? Sure, but it was worth it. She got to go to a very special program that got her into LOXA for high school. Oh. Vivian went to... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you take four or five to get to the Sherman Oaks or Coldwater? The 101 to Oh, just 101 over. Yeah. 
okay. In the mornings, there wasn't traffic going out. There was more traffic coming back in. Interesting. Yeah. But, okay, again, mother of the year. <laughs> Seriously. Every other... I had artists. We had to, we had to like, make this happen. These girls were so artistic. Sophia studied theater, and um, she was out at Millican, which was, like, the place to study theater. Mm-hmm. And Vivian wanted to study filmmaking, so she went to Thomas Star King in Silver Lake, the public wow. school there. Did you drive her there, too? Yeah, carpool, carpool. Look at you. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Was Loxa everything that people tell me about? Yes. It's great. Loxa's incredible. So if you've got a, a gifted artistic kid, yes, try to get their butt over there. Yes. Is if it, what, they're the kind of kid who wants high school to be done at 1230 uh-huh. and is willing to be in an arts conservatory every afternoon and most waking hours. And I've talked to people whose kids are ready for it and people who realize either before or once they get there that that's not what they had really realized that they had signed up for. What did they think they wanted? They just were already good at the thing. So they thought they wanted to get in or a kid who gets in for something that they're good at. Being good at something and being an artist is two different things. Mm -hmm. For example, my kids. Vivian is incredible. She's an incredible drummer. When she studied drumming, it was phenomenal. It got to the point where there was a recital where she played YYZ. And then she handed us her drumsticks and has barely played since. Did you know of this Rush instrumental before your daughter played it for you? I heard of it, but I'm not a Rush fan, but my husband is. Oh, is he? He's a musician. So he's the one that that introduced her to Neil Peart. Yeah. So she is very good at music. When she took the lessons, she was good at it. She's not a musician. She doesn't want to do it all the time. Mm. Sophia picked up a guitar at six. She hasn't put it down yet. Wow. So she is good at guitar, but that also means she's a musician in my mind, because when you stick with it and it's part of your life, either as an amateur or professional, but you feel like you cannot stop. Yeah. That's being a musician. To me, that's two different things. And good at music or musician, all fine. All of us love music. That's great. Sure. I don't play anything. Uh, Eddie Van Halen always had a guitar. All of his interviews, at the dinner table, it sounds like that's what your daughter is like, too. Sophie always has a guitar. And you're saying that's the person that needs to, that would excel at a place like Loxa? But um, Vivian did, too, because she's decided she wanted to be a filmmaker. And she studied film and makes short films and directs music videos mm-hmm. um, and had a great time. Loved it. She just decided that she was more interested in filmmaking than theater or music. Okay, once again... Having a child that plays drums, parents of the year. <laughs> that drum kit is still in the middle of my living room. You don't have a basement over there? You don't have a garage? She practiced the drums in the living room? Did the neighbors complain? No. What a great neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, I played drums in high school, but my mom was working. And we had a basement. It was Illinois. So nobody heard it. But when I hear stories like this... Were you home when she was practicing? Sure. And it didn't bother you? Not in the slightest. Because, I mean, yes, she's your little angel, but it takes a while to get good at drums. So you heard a lot of bad drumming before you heard good drumming. I, don't, I guess. I don't remember that phase. It was just your sweetheart, and so you just... Well, and also Sophia's band would practice in our living room sometimes, too. <laughs> I mean, she started playing professional gigs or, you know, gigs at clubs when she was 14. What clubs so- were she playing at? Well, the first gigs were all at like Genghis Cohen, Room Mm -hmm. 5. And then she started playing the music club. She played Hotel Cafe. She played the bootleg a ton. She plays, she's played everywhere. So it's so cool. We miss the bootleg though. R.I.P. bootleg. That place was, you know, even, even when it was happening, it didn't seem real. Because that backstage was bigger than the front stage. It's just a magical place. It It was. just a meetup of all the musicians in town. And just before the pandemic shut down, I mean, Moses Sumney was doing a residency there and Caroline Polachek was showing up and it was just such a magical place and we were there all the time. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Um, it, it is sad. It is sad that that, um, and I thought that it was going to be there forever Me because too. talk about a no man's land place. Like, isn't that like um, historic Filipino town? Yes. Which 
doesn't seem to be getting the gentrification treatment, but maybe it is. Depends on which part. I mean, there's some really beautiful craftsman homes and things that people are buying, but gentrification is a really complicated topic because it's happening in different ways. And some of them are horrible and some of them are neighborhoods are going to transform. So I feel like we could, you know, do a 12 episode podcast, just trying to unpack what we think about gentrification in this city. No, thanks. Yeah. Look, KPCC. I mean, LAist. LAist. (laughs) That's right up there, Allie. Uh, Okay. So your youngest is how old? 19. Is she still at home? No, she goes to college. So you have an empty nest. But I'm not a bird. Why do people use that expression? Uh, This is what I'm saying. I've got friends who are, one of the children is now at college and one is still in high school. And they are feeling that emptiness. They feel emotional about this. Do you feel emotional about this? Yes, I do. But I also have to be extremely happy that the girls are so motivated that they're out and about in the world because the alternative was someone's at home not knowing what they're doing with their life and maybe they're home, but they're not that happy. And so I need to be happy for them and they're Mm -hmm. making their way in the world. And I loved having little kids in the house and I do miss it, but I don't wish for them that they'd never leave home. Right. So, so you're, you're coping. thing called cool hunting was I that still you still have a thing called that's cool yours. hunting no so well, cool hunting was, was created in the early 2000s by josh rubin and evan orenston uh-huh. we just celebrated our 20th anniversary look at that 20 years i joined cool hunting in 2009 mm-hmm. it was in my journey of everything i said yes to something new came my way And I was helping someone uh, with a project to connect them to someone at Warner Brothers because I was working at Warner Brothers at the time, all because of my LAS days with you. And he said, oh, well, if you're going to Japan, (laughs) I bet cool hunting would want stories. And I said, I love cool hunting. And he said, do you know them? And I said, no. And whoever this person was, I'd have to look back on my notes introduced me to Josh and Evan and they said, go to Japan, come home, pitch us stories and we'll buy them. And they bought three stories from me and I have been writing for them ever since. Okay. This is why I bring up cool hunting. I read a lot of your pieces in there and um, loved them, of course. What's cool in your neighborhood right now? In my neighborhood? Yes. Ooh, so many things. Like? Stroll Garden, which is a ceramic art studio, art gallery. Uh Um, And they always have beautiful exhibits. That's right there on Beverly. Um, Oh, my gosh. Is is Moza and um, the Pizza Moza? Meat Pizzeria. Is it still happening? Oh, it's it's always happening. There's always a zillion people up there. Do, okay, so you've been there for a long time. Remember? We bought our house in 1999. Genius. Wasn't Moza? Yes, Moza used to be an Italian place. Yeah, it was something else before. It was yeah. like another Italian and, or pizza. And I, I took uh, like a Valentine there one year. And I was like, this is a hidden gem of this neighborhood. And then sure enough, Nancy Silverman agreed. Nancy Sweet. Silverton was like, I like this corner. And she built what we call Mozaplex. Okay. Do the art, where do people park? There's no parking. There's valet or you park in the neighborhood. I walk from home, so. Is it okay to park in the neighborhood? Yeah. You don't need a permit? No. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Okay, kitty quarter to that, I think, is 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 a big sushi restaurant's about to open. 
Yeah. You don't know anything about that? Nope. It's Don't, called Sushi Palace, and right. it's from, like, Germany or something. It makes no sense. <laughs> but if you go further up, it's Various Small Fires, which is one of the best art galleries in L.A., VSF. What a great name. There's a lot of cool galleries along there, Diane Rosenstein. So that part of Highland is pretty cool. See, this is, this is we, we are, I'm outing myself, and you are outing yourself. All I want to do is talk about food. All you want to do is talk about art. Good for you. I can always talk about food, too. <laughs> then tell me a cool food place in your neighborhood. Oh, my gosh. Let me think. Where do we hang out? Um, it's always fun to go to Republic because it's very fancy, but that historic building just makes me happy. Yeah. It's so... What was it before that? It was Campanile. Right. Yes. Which was also fancy. Which was also very fancy. But that, that building is a spectacular icon in los angeles we're, we're talking la brea yes um are you excited that there's going to be a, a train station yes there do you know when that train station is going to happen no because it was supposed to happen years ago it just right. keeps you know the, taking forever do you ever go to that ramen place at the uh what is that the southeast corner of um wilshire and uh, i have not la been brea? there me neither are we talking ramen now i go to k-town oh you go to, you go to where you're supposed to go I go to um, Sakai Ramen Bar on oh. Western, which is incredible, and you have to go there. So, in adjacent to your neighborhood, yeah, I think technically this is mid city, but it's close to you. That Firestone Tire Dealership, yes, is a brewery now. Have you been there? I have not, but I have plans with some of my UCLA friends to go in the next couple of weeks. It looks beautiful. And they said it's really cool, so I'm excited to go there. And they kept the aesthetic of the Firestone. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. I think it looks really cool, and it looks fun and like a fun place to hang out, so I'm excited to go there with friends. Let's talk about the fact that you write a lot for the LA Times. I do. So um, in the like 2014 to 16 or 17, I wrote for the food section. And who was your editor then? Betty Halleck. Love Betty. We love Betty. And at some point, Betty left and I wrote for Amy Scattergood and it just kind of phased out. They told me, oh, we don't have a lot of budget for freelancers now. And then they've had a lot of upheaval since then. You're telling me. So I last year had reached out to Daniel Hernandez and he said, sure, but we didn't end up buying anything. It's all fine. I have plenty of work. Yeah. And then they hired Michelle Wu to be the travel editor and they named her department West Coast Experience and she reached out to me. What? Yes. Did you know her before? I knew her like online, social media. Uh -huh. I was a fan of her writing. She reaches out to me and she says, what do you want to write about? <gasps> and I start pitching stories and she buys most of them. Wow. It was the most, so much fun. And they were printing them in the paper and they were cover stories of the weekend section. Yeah. And I felt like a million dollars. I felt like a representing our city. Yes. And that our paper, even though we read it online and all of this, and I read the <laughs> LA Times online and the New York Times online, the printed paper is still a really special thing that I feel like we need to preserve. And we I, need to I make sure that this keeps happening. I mean, as you see, I still get the paper. Yay, Tony. But I'm an old man. I need, I, but I'm telling you, when you write about someone and their articles in the paper, they want copies of it, which oh, means yeah. people still prize it. For sure. For sure. And then Betty Hallett came back to the food section and just hired <laughs> me for a story. So look in the paper on Sunday. This Sunday? Yes. Which is going to be in the past. So what's it about? Uh, we are doing what I've been wanting to do and bugging them about is to celebrate the LA coffee community because uh -huh. we have the best and most diverse and most special coffee community we do? in the world. The world. And I will stand by that statement. Do you talk about Intelligisa's uh, $100 cup of coffee? No. Damn it. Because Intelligentsia started in Chicago and they are a transplant and we are celebrating the LA born and bred coffee community. So uh, name a couple of those people. Uh, well, we're celebrating Be Bright, which is a new shop on um, Melrose. And uh, it's an incredible local grown roastery. Uh, Frank Law, who runs it, has been in the coffee 
community in Los Angeles for over a decade. Um, we talk about Conoscenti and all the roasters that are roasting there. Kindness and Mischief, they roast down at Rose Park in Long Beach. And other local roasters also roast there. There's a roastery in Chinatown that a bunch of the shops roast at. What? Canyon Coffee. All these local companies are doing incredible work. But L.A. County has the most diverse coffee community in the world, geographically, types of shops, culturally, menus, architecture, you name it. You want to drink coffee in LA? It's not a cookie cutter of every shop being the same kind of espresso bar. Did you talk to my girlfriend, Emma Chamberlain? I did not talk to your girlfriend, Emma Chamberlain, but I know about her coffee company. Would you consider that LA? I don't know. Where does she roast? God, if I know, I don't drink that stuff. But she made it. She made the company while she was living here in LA. But she's from the Bay like you. Yep. Okay, so you've got a cup of coffee and a cup of tea here. Yes, so the cup of coffee is because I always have coffee. And the tea (laughs) is because I had the plague a few weeks ago, and you probably can hear it a bit in my voice. A little tiny bit. But maybe, you know... Maybe the low, slightly hoarse voice will sound good on this podcast. What coffee are you drinking today? Uh, Today I am drinking Picaresca, which is their Cervantes blend, and they are in Boyle Heights and is one of the new coffee shops that I've discovered recently that's doing incredible work, fantastic coffee, sweetest little hidden shop in Boyle Heights, like behind a flower stand, and I love what they're doing. They're incredible. Julie Wolfson. uh, You... You, you you got your finger on the pulse. The coffee pulse, yes. You're Not going everyone's to, pulse. But you're going to Chinatown. I would never think to go to Chinatown for coffee. Oh, you have to. Thank you, coffee is one of the best coffee shops in the city. And Endorphine, Jack Benchicle. That is and that's that's the, other the thing. place. You know these people's names. I don't know my neighbor's names. Well, the coffee community is very near and dear to my heart. As much as I'm a generalist and I cover a lot of topics, one of my absolute main loves and main topics is coffee. Is it really? Yes. Wow. Okay. Then um, of the big brands, Alfred, Pete's, uh, uh, who's, who's the one that Emma used to love? Phil's. Are any of those even comparisons? Do they compare to these? Here's what I say about your coffee. List? Everyone should drink what they love. Okay. And I'm not going to disparage people drinking at the Starbucks uh-huh. or the Pete's. Drink what you love. At some point, if you really love coffee, you may discover that other people are roasting at a higher level, mm. a more precise, a more nuanced, and that's fine. If you get into it, great. If you don't, just drink coffee at your local shop and hang out with your neighbors. I'm not going to be a snob about it. And I've drunk coffee around the world. I've done coffee stories all over the world. I've met world barista champions. Like, I am in this. Yeah. I'm in the world. But if you want to tell me you have a favorite drink at your local shop, I'm happy for you. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite companies in LA is Tierra Mia. Okay. And Ulysses Romero, who started this company, Basically wanted to have almost all the drinks you have at a Starbucks, just a little higher quality coffee. He wanted to make his own recipe for frappes. He has lots of horchata lattes. He has a frappe called rice and beans. It has horchata in it and like chunks of coffee beans. He's just having fun with it, but he's making it as open, as accessible as possible. There's like 20 shops now. He's hired hundreds of people. This is a really special place. So that's one of the bigger companies that I think is doing something really special, but also at a wider lens because he has shops mostly throughout Southern California, a few in the Bay Area. And... Everyone feels comfortable. No one feels like they're going to see suspenders or handlebar (laughs) mustaches or a snob who says, you don't know what elevation this coffee was grown at. Mm -hmm. He's just trying to make it fun and accessible, but he's heading back and forth to, you know, South America and Central America to source coffee beans and it's good coffee.
Since you brought up handlebar mustaches, you also know a few things about mixed drinks. I do. I love cocktails, and I love uh, I love learning about cocktails. My main thing is to tour whiskey distilleries. That's my favorite topic. Whiskey distilleries around the world. Okay, who was I talking to the other day? They were talking about Japanese whiskey. You're speaking my language. Bonjour. Um, they were telling me Japanese whiskey, totally different than American whiskey. Well, they're all somewhat different and somewhat similar, depending on what the process is, what the source of the grains are. Japanese whiskey, as an overall profile, has a very like clean, fresh, uh, they're not that into that many peaty whiskeys. So just before the pandemic shut down, I was in Japan and I was um, in the northern region of Tohoku, and they asked me when they were going to take me around, what do you want to see? And I said, this museum, this architecture, this, and I want to go to the Nika Miyagikyo Distillery in Sendai. And so I looked at the calendar at the itinerary, and they'd booked an hour. And I said, well, usually I spend two days. But if we don't have two days, you have to book at half day. Like, mm-hmm. I, we're going to tour, we're going to see the river, by the distillery. We're going to do a tasting. And we got there at 10 in the morning. And we got to do a behind-the-scenes tour and the warehouses and see where the coffee stills are. And it was incredible. We got to have a sip of water from the river where they sourced the river. We went into the tasting room to the main tasting and then to the like back room extra tasting. And the contact that I was traveling with said it was the best work day he'd ever had in his entire life. I bet. And he he originally only scheduled an hour with you. Yeah. Uh, And so when I got home, that was my cool hunting story from that trip. Was to do a distillery tour of Nika Miyagikyo. And and now that I hear, I mean, if the LA Times is hearing this, they're probably thinking, God, we should have had that. Well, they don't have me write anything that's international. So the travel department is West Coast Experience. So we cover California. And the food department also does not hire me to write anything that doesn't happen basically in LA. I mean, occasionally they cover Vegas or somewhere else. Yeah. But um, we're not doing world food. We're doing world food that's based in LA. Yeah. But they are not having me write whiskey distillery tour stories about the ones that I go to around the world. So I'm my next story for Cool Hunting is a whiskey distillery in Tel Aviv. Wow. Were you world traveler? It was fun. My last trip to Israel was uh, August, September. Holy moly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Israel, you went to Los Olivos? Yeah. You went to, for, for one of these uh, calendar sections, um, that was a little joke. Uh, one of your front page LA Times pieces. Was Los it Alamos. Los Alamos? Yes. Was it Solvang? Uh, someone else did a Solvang story. I did Los Alamos. Los Alamos. Yeah. What did you learn going to Los Alamos? Oh, that was a very interesting story because a lot of people write hippest small town, five trendy things to do. And I knew the locals would not be happy with that. They don't like those stories. Oh. Um, What's interesting about Los Alamos is it's a historic town. It's a small one street town. It literally looks like high noon. Uh Uh-huh. And there's the train depot, and there's an old saloon building where Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson um, did the music video for Say, Say, Say. They did? Yes. And what's interesting about Los Alamos is the history is still there. You can go up to the cemetery, and there are gravestones from the 1800s. Wow. But also, there's some sweet cafes that really reflect the wine country there and one of them that opened six years ago is called bells and it got to the point where bells work and the work ethic and the food led to a michelin star now that sounds like the snobby people on the corner yeah but it's not this is these people are so incredibly involved in the community helping other chefs another chef parks his barbecue pit behind and has barbecue (laughs) pop-ups and they help they 
did a program called Feed the Valley to make sure during the pandemic that anyone who needed meals, they would buy them from the restaurants and give them to people in need. Wow. Like this is a special place. It is mid-priced expensive. Mm -hmm. So I understand that that is part of it is good ingredients cost money yep. so a tasting menu there is $90 that, but that's not bad. it's not that bad for price for what they give you it's incredible but what I love about it is it's like a Michelin star with a heart because I don't know mm. if all these awards and everything are so important except for if it brings you some customers and if the chef feels good about the notoriety yeah but what I love is if you walk around Los Alamos it's owner-operated restaurants and shops and that's what's special about it mm-hmm Okay, this is, for those of you who didn't go to school in Santa Barbara like me, this is just a little bit north of Santa Barbara, Central Coast. and It's the Santa Barbara wine country, the Santa Ynez Valley, and mm -hmm. the Santa Rita Hills, and it's a magical, wonderful place. And, and sometimes when people hear Santa Barbara, they think, Richie, Richie, Richie. That's Santa Barbara proper. This is the farming community, the, the, the growers, the vineyards. These people are driving pickup trucks. Yeah, I mean... In the last few years, Los Alamos has gotten kind of has bought up and people want to have either – they want to move there or they want to have their second home there. So there's mm. not a lot of property and some of the locals are feeling a little pushed out. Are they? But there's still a lot of space in that whole county. And I hope that they can preserve the sweetness of Los Alamos and not overbuild it. And that's what the locals really want. They want to still look like a little – not ghost town, but like a little old west town. Yeah. And they don't want the charm of that to go away. They don't want a lot of big condo buildings or big mm -hmm. shopping centers. So they're all kind of pushing back on how much that grows. Because Los Olivos is a little bit bigger town, a little more built. Mm -hmm. um, they're reopening Mate's Tavern now. I know why Michael Jackson did that with Paul McCartney. Neverland was up there. Mm -hmm. That all makes sense now. Yeah. But he also loves the cowboy nonsense. Or yeah, I mean, that whole... That whole video was about them being grifters and, yeah. you know, con men and running around, you know, putting on shows and pretending they were magicians and taking people's money. When I read your piece, I was like, this is the perfect weekend getaway for a romantic couple. Yes. Because it's not that far. No, it's great. It's three hours. Yeah. And Santa Barbara's on the way. So on the way there or back... I stop for coffee in Santa Barbara or mm -hmm. a meal or to walk the piers or anything. You, you can know. take uh, uh, the Surfline train if you want to. Yep. Get off somewhere, take the Uber to your B&B or your Airbnb, whatever it is. And it um, can be a very romantic uh, weekend. And get hammered and have good food. Yeah. Who doesn't want all that? Yeah. And you're away from L.A. I love it. I think also if you do have your car with you, you have to be careful about the wine tasting, but driving from town to town, driving from Los Olivos to Los Alamos and Solvang and out to Buellton and all of those, it's the most beautiful drives. It there sure these is. These curvy, gorgeous roads in the spring, this wildflowers are insane. It's just a beautiful part of the state. I hadn't state. thought about that. Because yeah. I heard that uh, the Super Bloom is going to return because we had such a good rainfall. And they're closing down some of these Yeah, areas. they're going to try and close down some roads and areas because the hipsters and the right. Instagrammers just start trampling <laughs> all the flowers. And But they're not going to do that in the Central Coast. Well, especially the stuff you can see off the road. Right. You can see it off the freeway, you get to see it. Yeah. They're just asking you to not step off and like lie down in the poppies. Which is... Let them. Who cares? The poppies get trampled, Tony. So what? That's our state flower. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it, but they were plants. Like, they grow I back. Know. What happens, though, is there ends up being a lot of traffic. The traffic. And then a okay. lot of people trampling and photo shoots. Yeah. And people not being aware. And we should stay on the trail and not trample the wildlife. I'm a weirdo. Just lay in the flower. Okay. Have a good time. Okay. Right. I guess I think it's just for certain areas of the state, it ends up being intrusive and yes, but messing but, up their lives for the season that the wildflowers are blooming. But what we're saying is, just don't go to where all the other basic bitches are going. Go <laughs> up north. Yeah, a couple hours. You yeah. you'll be free. Nobody's going to tell you not to lay in those pop poppies. Uh, I I always see them from the road. But yes, yes. Okay. 
How would you like to wrap up this uh, beautiful interview, Julie Wilson? I don't know, Tony. What should we talk about? What have you? What have we not talked about on your mental list? My gosh. Um, oh, I know. I wanted to finish up about mentorship. Oh, okay. Okay. So I really do feel like you've been a mentor to me, Ugh. as was Ted Walsh, my high school teacher who believed in me. Yeah. And um, I think it's a really important thing. I, I think that we cannot underestimate the thumbs up you get from someone who says, when you suggest an idea, go for it. Mm. So you said to me, go for it. You said to me, go for it when I asked you why we were getting invited to a Nintendo event. Uh-huh. And I didn't know anything about video games. And you said, that's what they want. They want someone who's a beginner. And it was when they were launching the Wii. And I ended up being oh. a video game writer. It just keeps like I remember evolving that. if you say yes to things. Yes. So for many years, I worked with a program at the Santa Monica Police Activities League called the Virginia Avenue Project. Okay. And it was a theater mentoring. And we just helped kids. It was more about self-esteem than like hoping they're going to end up on Broadway. A few of them have ended up on Did Broadway. Did they really? But most of them go into business and politics and all these things because they have the they have the self-confidence you get from doing theater. Okay. Whether they go into theater full-time. So when when I was recruiting people like you for LAist, I said, if you kick booty, people are going to see it and you never know. You might end up in the LA Times. You might have a whole career a whole as a journalist. A bunch of us ended up at big places. Yeah. But that's journalism, which I know a tiny bit about. You're talking about Broadway and theater. It's the same path? In those- I think so. I think you have mentors and you have to get good at what you're doing. You have to practice, practice, practice. And you have to have some luck and you have to have some chutzpah. Yeah. But I don't think you can underestimate giving someone a thumbs up to go for it, to try out the thing that they want to try out. And I really believe in that. And currently the mentoring that I'm doing is with a program called Right Girl. And Right Girl is a really fascinating program because it helps girls and non-binary teens learn to write. Whether or not they become a novelist or journalist is not what's important. What's important is they're interested in writing and they have workshops that we do. They have weekly mentors who just keep giving you the thumbs up, keep giving you feedback, Uh keep helping. So this is the program that Amanda Gorman got most of her training in. Our, 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 Our beautiful poet? Our beautiful poet. What? Was interested in writing. Apparently, Amanda, I heard you were very shy. No. And she started writing and she started reading at poetry readings. She got a lot of encouragement. And of course, we discovered that she's brilliantly smart and talented and sure. went on to do all the amazing things that she's doing. Yeah. And I right now have a girl that I mentor is actually in New Mexico uh-huh. because the program's online because of the pandemic. Oh. And they matched us and we meet every week. And she's an incredible writer. And she writes short stories and she's done some poetry. She's working on, I don't know, five novels. This girl is so motivated. (laughs) And I think that having someone who keeps saying yes and keeps giving you encouragement is one of the most important things that we can do because the mentors that I've had have helped me so much and have given me so much confidence. Mm -hmm. And the last mentor I'm going to tell you about is because I was at the Barker Air Hangar yesterday for Freeze Art Fair. Uh And the first time I ever went to the Barker Air Hangar was in 1990 because when I graduated UCLA, the opera director, Peter Sellers, was one of my mentors because he was teaching theater at UCLA at the time. How about that? And Peter said to me, I want you to work for me. And I'm thinking, I don't sing opera. I don't like, okay, you know, Peter, what would you like me to do? And he was the artistic director of the 1990 Los Angeles Festival, which was this incredible citywide arts festival that we had that celebrated inclusion and diversity of the arts in LA in a very proactive, active way of bringing artists from all over LA and artists from all over the world to share in this diversity message. And Peter was bringing in the Bread and Puppet Theater from Vermont. And he said, I'm going to have you produce all of their shows. And I'm thinking, I am 22 years old. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of responsibility. And Peter said, I believe in you. And he hired me. And I produced the street festivals, the show they did at the Little Theater at UCLA. We did a show at the Barker Air Hangar. 
which is called Uprising of the Beast, which is a famous play from the Bread and Puppet Theater with a 40-foot puppet that's operated by a couple dozen people. Holy moly. A hundred performers in the show. So we cast a bunch of locals. And then I guess a couple hundred audience members came into the Barker Air Hangar and experienced this side by side with the performers. And it was just one of those things where he believed in me and I had a big job to do. And that was a really special time in Los Angeles. And uh, while I was preparing for this interview, I was like, I wonder if they wrote about the L.A. Festival. Well, of course, it was the biggest thing happening in culture at the time. There were all these articles in the L.A. Times about what was happening in the city and what it meant to the city that we had this arts festival. That's fantastic. Maybe we should have something like that when the Olympics come. I hope so. I really feel like we should. Yeah. And I feel like this is the most diverse, wonderful city. And the more that we celebrate that and the more that we're careful that when we decide to have programming like the L.A. Festival or anything, Mm -hmm. that it's inclusive in a very intentional way. Not in a we got to make sure we got someone from this neighborhood, but like an inclusion that makes sure it really reflects our city. Uh, Right, girl? Yes. How do how do we uh, read or participate or? Yeah, they're uh, on all social media and have a website, rightgirl.com. Which is W-R-I-T-E-G-I-R-L.com. And people can donate. If you are a mentor and you're interested in mentoring girls who and non-binary people who are interested in writing, um, it's such an incredible community and you'd be amazed some of the mentors that show up and the talent of the students that we work with where can people read your stuff la times do you have a website with all uh, of your clippings my website is called designforallpeople.com and that's my website with a lot of my writing and if you look on my instagram which is at julie wolfson um i also have links there to everything i've been writing wolfson s E-N. S-O-N. S-O-N. W-O-L-F-S-O-N. And uh, this guitar teacher of yours? Your daughter guitar teacher? Sophia Wolfson. If anyone's interested in guitar lessons, shout out to Sophia Wolfson. You can find her on Instagram or her website also. Do you know the handle? SophiaWolfson.com. Okay. That was just available. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Sophia with an F. Yes. Okay. Julie with a J. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. We learned a lot today. I think you learned that you live in Hancock Park. I learned that I technically live in Hancock Park, <laughs> but not the historic zone where they can't tear down the houses on my block. So you, you, we, our house is about to turn 100 years old. Oh. And we're going to try and keep it in the family so that that house is always there. And does it get torn down and turned into a giant two-story box? But if you wanted to, you could. Yeah, I don't want to tear it down. I love well, I know, but I'm just saying that I think people should have freedom. Yes, I do like Hancock Park the way that it is, but you but spend... when they build a big ugly box, I don't where get a the boxes. Beautiful little bungalow was. It's very sad. Yes, I no, I totally agree. I just they're also too big when they build the giant box on a little lot. Maybe I need to go into one of these boxes. I mean, some of them look fine inside. You feel like you're in an art gallery with maybe an atrium or something. But from the outside, when you used to have, a, like, we have a little Spanish Mediterranean bungalow kind of house. Yeah. It's sweet. It's cute. Yeah. And it has a lot of charm and character. It was built in 1926. Wow. And so I love the little small Spanish and Tudor bungalows on my street. And when someone tears one down and builds a giant box to block everyone's view and light and everything it's just not cool especially since there are beautiful architecture to to vibe off of in la that they could be looking at like how come people don't build new craftsmen's I think that's hard to build, but yes, they should. And a house like mine is one story. You can carefully put a second story on it or on your garage and echo the roof line and do it with a historic preservation in mind. Uh And you would be able to expand. 
Um, but it's, it, I think, expensive, and you can't expand as much as if you just tear it down and build a big box that goes Oy. to every edge of the property right. of as much space as you can take up. Yeah. So, for example, at the end of our block, a tutor got torn down that was, I think, 2,100 square feet, and it was a jewel box. It was a very important tutor. It had an important Batchelder fireplace in it, and someone lied <sighs> to purchase the property and said he wasn't going to tear it down. Uh-oh. And then the next day applied for the permit, demolished it in front of our eyes, <gasps> including ripping everything apart that could have been saved, <sighs> and then built what looks like maybe a 7,000 square foot property on a, the same lot that had a 2,000 square foot home. In a different era, you would egg that house, but now the eggs are too expensive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> eggs are precious. Julie, you are precious too. Tony, Thank you you're for precious being here. To me. You you have to run. You're a lady who lunches and you're about to go lunch. I have a lunch meeting ideal. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Tony. How great was Julie? You know who we do whiskey shots with in Central California? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, have a few cups of Joe on us. So shout out to our Patreons. Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinke, Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, Ben from Down Under, and Chris from the ATX. Go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts to be a Patreon. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is pay PAL or Venmo 25 bucks or more, and we'll list you on the Here in LA website or Medium blog forever. Uh, thanks to the Plum Dahlia for being our most recent uh, Angelino. Gracias! Just send your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com, and uh, you'll b- b- turn my frown upside down. Want to support us, but... You bet on the wrong team to win the Super Bowl. Same. You can still help. Post your favorite episode on their Facebook. Oh my God, post two. Before Twitter crashes, just tweet something nice about us. And tag us when you do that, and your friends will like it. They'll retweet. Who knows? They might even listen to this particular episode with Julie, and everybody's going to love Julie. And then the, the, the circle of love just continues to circle. Uh, just tell your friends if you got to. Just say, Psst, it's really great. It's, a, it's, it's about the neighborhoods. He talks to these people. I don't know how he knows all these people, but he does. And he gets them on the mic. And, and they're fantastic. Tell your friends that here in L.A. is spelled H-E-A-R. And it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Amazon. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man whose daughter is learning guitar from Julie's daughter, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Oregon and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and everyone who worked for free at LAist back in the day and put it high on the charts so that one day KPCC could adopt its name. You're all superstars.